Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of BDE. Big dorm energy. That's right, folks. You heard it here first. I'm currently with my roommate, Alex. If you don't know who Alex is, then be sure to tune into the previous episode to hear all about our relationship and our experience being roommates. But this episode is a bit different from my normal episodes. I interview Addison Wingate, who is a junior at UCLA, and Addison and I do camp casting together, and she reached out to me and said, hey, I know this kind of differs from what you normally talk about on your podcast, but I was wondering if you would give me the platform to share my story about sexual assault, and of course, I was totally open and thrilled to do it, and so she comes on the podcast today and talks about her healing process from being sexually assaulted. She details the night of the sexual assault, assault, excuse me, and talks about how she's taken what happened to her and is taking action in her community and trying to make change in society. And I think in this time right now, just embracing change and listening and respecting others is very important in everything from the Me Too movement to just other survivors coming out and sharing their story it's very important to listen to other people and see how as a whole we can really make changes and really respect one another more moving forward. And so I really admire Addison's strength for coming onto this podcast and really being vulnerable and just answering all of my questions. And so I really hope everybody takes the time to listen to this. I think it's very important. And without being said, I hope you enjoy. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. When do you move into Westwood? Um, I'm moving back next Wednesday. I'm a little stressed, but it's fine. It's I'm excited. It's like kind of a bummer to be moving away from like wilderness and stuff. But yeah. Where do you live again? Tahoe. That's much nicer than over here. Not gonna lie. Yeah. But there's like people there and there's like no one here. All right, let's get into it. So you approached me and sent me a message like, hey, love what you're doing with your podcast. I'd love to be a voice about sexual assault and kind of kept it kind of vague in conversation. But I think you kind of have a very clear agenda of what you want to say and what message you want to get across on this platform. So obviously, I have several questions, but if you can just start by telling your story and we'll go from there. Yeah, um, totally. Well, I mean, like, thanks for having me. I think that your podcast is so real and such a good idea and such a good way to kind of talk about the issues that are affecting people our age. I thought that it would be appropriate. I know that you kind of handle a variety of topics, um, everything from, you know, super, not mundane things, but kind of dorm life and and stuff like that, all the way to like, your Black Lives Matter, um, and like, kind of, social justice issues um and so I just thought that it would be interesting to have sexual assault as a topic because it's something that is I think becoming a little less taboo in terms of college conversation um but at the same time it's definitely something that is difficult to talk about and it's discussed as if there's a very clear black and white and I don't think that's the reality um I think that there's a lot of gray area when it comes to Um, sexual assault, whether it's policy and legislation or whether it's experiences, um, 
what the best way to heal is, what the best way to punish is. And so I, I thought that that would be interesting to have a conversation with someone who obviously likes talking about things. Yes, I'm always here to have a conversation, honestly, about everything. So why don't you start by just telling me like what piqued your interest in this topic specifically, and like why you wanted to come on and talk about it? Yeah. <clears throat> oh my gosh, my voice is so terrible right now. So I was actually um, 14 when I was sexually assaulted. I was raped by someone at the time that I considered a friend. And so that I think woke me up um, to, it was the summer before I I went to high school. I went to high school with essentially no one that I knew. There were a couple couple people, but um, I moved school districts. And so I was going into this time in my life where I didn't have a lot of stability and all of a sudden this kind of new wrench was thrown in and I didn't tell anyone for a year. Like I I said nothing to no one. So slowly as I started talking about it and telling friends at first, coworkers, um, telling my mom, which was literally the hardest thing that I've ever had to do. um, I started talking about it and realized that talking was really healing and and again that's kind of a, a personal thing it's not like that for everyone um, but the more I talked about it the more I was able to really analyze and process what had happened to me and why it was so such a strange concept that it wasn't something that kind of hid in alleyways in the dark so to speak it was something that was very um, in my face and and followed me for a very long time and so I started talking about it at my high school um, to to various classes. Um, and then once I came to college, UCLA, I tried to, I didn't want to be the, the girl who was assaulted. Like that was my thing coming in. I was like, this is my fresh start. I don't want to talk about this. And realized pretty immediately that it's not something that you can just, you know, a hat that you can take off. Um, it's something that I wanted to continue being passionate about because it's as big bigger um an issue for women who are student a college student age um not necessarily students because it's kind of that age range it's like 18 to 24 um where women are more likely or or people are more likely to be assaulted and and so I figured that this was the time and the place to really stand up and start talking about it before we get into it all I just want to applaud your bravery and your strength I think that I stand by the fact that, like, whenever I'm going through anything, like, talking about it always eases my stress and my pain. And I think anybody who's been sexually assaulted or raped, having the courage to open up to somebody, like, I can't even fathom how that must feel and that conversation with your mom. And so I want to say, like, thank you for being that person to speak about it and open up about it. I applaud you. I respect you. But I want to first go back to that night if you don't mind kind of unpacking what happened just because I want a better idea of what happened so you said that you were 14 and you were going into a new school district this boy that you were with what was your relationship leading up to that point and how did the night that everything happened unfold (laughs) that's a question so I was yeah I was 14 I had at this point in in my life a couple of really good friends um or people that I considered, you know, my closest friends, and they were both older than me. And so we ended up going to a party, it was 4th of July. um, And I drank for I don't remember if it was my first time or 
one of the first times, but it was kind of in that range where I really didn't know what I was doing. I was hanging out with high school kids. I was like, I'm cool. Like just graduated middle school. (laughs) Um, and, and so we're at this party and I remember drinking and not, not tasting anything. And so I just kept drinking and (laughs) we've all been there. Um, and at one point they left the party and they left without me. What? Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so, and, and it wasn't malicious. I don't think that they were like, Hey, let's ditch Addison. But, um, it was, they were going to go to this other place. And I had been talking to other friends that I had seen from school and whatnot, okay. but not that I was there with, um, or that close to. And so they were just gone. So I called this guy who, he, oh, here's another detail. He's 17, almost 18 at this point. And we had, we were involved in the same sport. We had kind of been in the same community and been in contact, which, you know, when you're 14, you don't think about it. But right. looking back, it's like a 14 year old and an almost 18 year old. There's something off about that dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I called him. I didn't know that he had been drinking, but he said, yeah, I can give you a ride home. And and or I, I think I texted it. This was so long ago. I haven't I haven't um, talked about this in a while. I think I texted him, then called my mom and said, "Hey, I need a ride." And he texted me back, "Hey, I'll come get you." And I said, "Well, actually, my mom's gonna get me." And so my mom took me home. And he said, "Well, I'd still love to hang out." I was like, "Okay, cool." Um, and so he picked me up from my house. I did not know that he had been drinking. He didn't tell me that until he was driving me home, um, and. He, he picked me up. Um, we drove kind of how our town is laid out is there's like, I'm at the end where almost everything is, is done. And so we drove up in, into the mountains a little bit where there was really no one, um, and, and parked. And the hardest thing I think for me to admit to myself all these years is that when you're 14 and you have a 17 almost 18 year old boy who's interested in you. It's super flattering. Yeah. Um, so there was a part of me that was like, Oh, like I might like this guy, you know, but I was super, I hadn't done anything with any guys, um, million years. Wait, sorry, um, sorry, so sorry. You cut out. I remember kissing wait, 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 him pause. and being really okay. Pause. Sorry. Uh, you cut out. You said the length at which it went and then you kind of spazzed out. Am I, am I back? You're good. Am I good? You're back. Okay. Um, let me know if it does that again. I can also move. Yeah. So I, I just, I know that I wouldn't have been comfortable with any of that, but I, like, it was very, very blurry. Um, I, my vision, my memory kind of cuts in and out. There's a lot of, I don't feel that comfortable with this. Um, wait, this feels wrong. And then it was me like hitting him, yelling no. Um, and, I remember like tasting blood. So I don't know if I bit my lip or my um, tongue or whatever, but that's kind of my memory. And then I remember hitting my head on the side of the car door. Um, so you were outside the car when all of this was happening. We were in the back seat. Back seat. Got it. So, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. I know so, this must be difficult to relive. I No, so fine. Um, appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, that's it. And then the other, like, the kind of sick thing that I remember is on the drive home, he drove me home. So, yeah, wait, how did that, I can't even fathom. So, you do that, you're like, get the hell off of me, you old creep. 
but it, yeah. but it, the events still progress, correct? Like he still yeah. dominates you and takes advantage of you. And then, so how do you end up saying like, I'm really done with this and then having him take you home? I, I remember him apologizing. I think it, it was immediate. Um, and that's, that's another thing that like victim blaming is as insidious kind of with, with the general public and with society as it is within yourself. Cause you kind of, you internalize that. Right. Um, and so, oh, he's telling me he's sorry. After must, it happened. After it happened, even though he kept going when it was happening, like, but that must mean that he's sorry. Um, I remember he, when we were driving home, he grabbed my hand and held my hand and I felt really weird in that moment. And then he was texting me. I remember I didn't want anything to do with him after this. And he was texting me. He was saying nothing really happened. Like he did, he was kind of trying to probe to see how much I remembered. There was nothing really happened. I didn't do anything wrong. Um, I'm sorry that you feel like that. Just stuff that was really discrediting um and and I definitely internalized that and so I didn't really register what had happened and how wrong it was until much later so Um, that night you leave probably so disturbed but also you have alcohol in your system and you're just like freaked out so when you get home you don't think to tell your mom anything that happened oh god no no I remember like in my bedroom just pacing I was just pacing around and I don't, I texted my friend who had, who had left me at the party and said, I can't sleep. Like, is this the alcohol? I can't sleep. Cause I, again, I, I didn't know what alcohol did to you. She's like, no, it's probably the Mountain Dew. Cause it was like vodka and Mountain Dew or something, probably vodka, um, something in Mountain Dew. And she's like, it's just the caffeine. You're fine. And I don't think I even pieced together that it was trauma, that it like something had happened to me that I was walking in circles in my room for hours yeah Uh, yeah so I I mean I'm just trying to take a breath and take this all in this is sick on so many levels so this happens you don't tell anyone and you live with this secret buried inside of you for a year which is insane so then how did you finally broach the subject with somebody and open up about what had happened it was actually, it was really interesting. So after that happened, I got close with with a lot of the guys on my cross-country team my freshman year um, and, and got very close with them. They were some of my best friends all through high school. Um, but I remember that I couldn't be in a car with just guys. Like I would kind of feel that anxiety. And I don't think that I even connected the dots at that point in time like it was just so uncomfortable interesting um and then I was with my coworkers. I worked at a stable I was a horse girl um but I I worked at a stable and we were driving at one point it was my one girl co-worker and two guys and she we drove to Reno which is about 45 minutes away yeah and she actually stayed in Reno and so we're driving back um and it's just me and these two guys and I started to feel that and somehow the topic, I think we had talked about it before, the topic came up that I was kind of coerced into the situation. Because I think at that point, that's what I was thinking of it. 
as is coercion. Um, and they said, well, what actually happened? And I finally, it, it clicked in my brain that it wasn't coercion because when you're screaming no and hitting someone, that's, that's restraint, that's physical violence, that's, you know, that's Sexual kind of assault. a next level. Yeah. Um, and not to say at all that coercion is acceptable or, I mean, it is fully assault, um, but it's just not as clearly manifested as this was. And so I actually opened up to these two guys first um, in a car alone, That's crazy. <laughs> which was, yeah, really, really insane. And after that, it just kind of, I told, you know, my two best friends um, from my hometown that we're friends forever and ever since we've been born. Um, and then it, it just started spiraling and it got to the point where I was literally speaking in front of a class of 30 people at my high school. Um, and I remember a couple of times doing that and then saying, okay, now I got to tell my mom. And so that's, that's kind of how it went. It was like co-work, random coworkers, friends, my whole school and then my mom. Wow. So when you told these guys did anybody ever ask who the boy was or did anybody know because I feel like you all went to school in the same area his name must have gotten tossed around right um so I think that was another huge component of it for me is um at this point he's graduated from high school um he's I mean like at this when I start telling people um and I, I don't remember if he was still in town or if he had moved elsewhere for school, but I went to high school in Reno. Um, and so all the people I knew and was interacting with on a frequent basis didn't know him and didn't know anyone in Truckee where I, where I live. Um, I did tell one friend who we've been close friends, you know, since we were toddlers, cause that's how small towns work. And we were involved in the same sport as him. And, and she knew him and had gone to high school with him, actually. And it was very strange for me because when I told her, and I told her kind of hush-hush because at this point, I, I think I still wanted, I didn't want to drag his name through the mud. That wasn't my goal. That wasn't anything that I thought would be healing. And, and that kind of goes into reporting and why I didn't do that. Um, but... It was frustrating because she she heard the whole story. She was very sympathetic. And then I told her who it was and it was, and that was it. Like I, there was no follow-up conversation with her. She never said anything. She was still friends with him. Um, not that they were close because we're younger, but it was definitely strange that she wasn't taken aback. She wasn't um, visibly upset by it there was no acknowledgement of the fact that this person was someone with which she had quite a few interactions interesting and how did it go when you talked to your mom it's really hard because my my mom and I are really really close um she's a single mom like I've lived with her um since I was really really young but I didn't feel the immediate support from her even though I knew she was trying to be super supportive I don't think that she understood the extent of the violence and I, I'm not sure she still does. Um, what do you mean by that? It was very much, um, she actually opened up to me and said, uh, yeah, I was, again, it was that coercion aspect. It's a lot easier to understand you being pressured into something than you being held down and forced to do something. Um, 
And so her response was, and and I don't actually know if she's publicized this at all, but yeah, I experienced something when I was younger where an older guy and it was kind of this Wait, I'm sorry of, you cut out again. So you were saying your mom said she experienced something. Yeah, so she, she was saying like when she was younger, when she was in her 20s, an older man forced her to do something or um, pressured her into doing something. And kind of my realization at that point was twofold. It was a, oh my God, this is so like pervasive, transgenerational. It's not just something that me and my friends are dealing with. It's something that our mothers and grandmothers and great grandmothers have dealt with since the beginning of time. Right. So, so there was that realization, but there was also no mom. He didn't pressure me into doing this. He held me down and did this. It was all, it almost felt dismissive. And I think for a long time after that, when I would tell her stories of my friends um, in high school and in college, it would be, she was drinking. What a shame. You know, it's kind of. So she would participate in the victim blaming almost. Almost. Like you brought that upon yourself by drinking or by allowing an older boy to pressure you into X, Y, and Z. But but I don't think that it's something conscious on her end. Like I really, she supports me. She's, I I have an immense amount of privilege in that I'm, you know, white middle class woman where it's easy for me to tell people she would have given me all the resources that I needed if I needed to go to therapy. And I I did. So she gave me the resources to go to therapy. No discount to your mother. I'm just trying to like put myself in the shoes either as a mother or a daughter experiencing something like this. And this is just like personal, but, and luckily this hasn't happened. My mom would like not even let me finish the sentence and would like, I'm going to go kill whoever did that a and B I'm going to call the cops and C like, we're going to get you the help you need. Like not. And I know different people approach things in a different way, but not saying, not dismissing the subject, but taking direct action because that happened in your formative years that it's very impactful and I don't know how how just dismissing it does anything so like my heart breaks for you when you tell me that because I feel like you may have wanted and maybe I'm wrong about this but her reaction to be more like anger towards the boy and his actions rather than dismissing the event definitely or trying to I think more than more than dismissing um like trying to justify it, trying to reason yeah. it out, trying to make it logical. And it's not logical. Did you ever say that to her? I don't know. I think at some point over the years, I must have. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's approached me. It's it's kind of uncomfortable to talk about with your mom. And so she's definitely approached me and been like, how are you doing? Do you need to take a step back from this? Because it is something that I spend a lot of time with in college um as as an issue and so she's she's tried to be there and be supportive of me but you're right in that in that initial moment there was not the support that the kind of anger that I think would have been healing in some sense to receive from her but I also think it's so interesting that she claims she had a similar experience and whether or not you agree to do something because you're pressured into it or somebody forces themselves upon you it's still you involved in a sexual act that you don't want to be involved in and to the fact that 
she went through this, it makes me kind of think that she didn't fully deal with what she went through on her own, which is why she didn't want to fully deal with it with you, because then she has to relive what happened to her. Right. Exactly. Which is just, it's crazy that the both of you went through this. So, you you start telling people, you start opening up to people. When you first spoke to a class of people, A, how did you feel? And B, like, what did you say? I had the same speech. I wonder, I have videos of it because I really wanted to give a TED Talk. And, like, only in, like, the last couple years I realized that's so dumb. Like, I was just talking about my experience and it was more for me, I think, than anyone. But it's, I, I went to, full disclosure, um, religious school. So like private Catholic school. Um, I'm not Catholic. I'm Jewish. Like I don't know Same. why I was there. go Jews. But yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, sex was very very taboo. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no conversation surrounding kind of what there there was nothing about sexual assault. Like nothing about sex, let alone sexual assault. Because saving um, yourself for marriage is right. a big thing. Yeah, of course we're all doing that. What do you think? Um, but so, so to have this huge gap in kind of our experiences and our education was super just wrong in my mind. And Mm -hmm. so I remember I started going to these classes and saying, um, kind of, this is my story. And I, I told my entire story and then the message was, and, and is to this day, kind of look how strong I am, like, look how strong you perceive me to be look how many years it's been and it's still affecting me and so it was more than anything I think my goal in that moment was to get boys in my classes and and I really did see it as boys at this point in my life and and since then I've gotten much more educated um and and talked to survivors of you know a bazillion different identities but I was trying to get those boys who I saw is very privileged, very entitled for the most part, a lot of Trump supporters, <laughs> to understand the impact that something like this can have on someone and that it is happening in our school. It's happening with our friends. It's happening in our age group. It doesn't matter what your positionality is in terms of you experiencing it. The aftermath, absolutely. Um, the resources that you have, the statistical probability that you're going to go through this, absolutely. But the the trauma that you endure is forever. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. When you came forward, did you feel the need to publicize your story or anything about it on social media? Yeah. I I have a post up, I think on my Instagram. Well, you will be tagged when I post this podcast. So go check okay. it out. Check me out. Um, I think I started writing. It was like almost a slam poem. Like, it, it's poetry, but it's in, like, prose format. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was my first thing where I publicized it, where I, like, my coming out, if you will, um, where I just spoke about it to everyone. And the, the, that was, like, really scary to post. Um, but why did you feel as though you needed to do it? I think I wrote, I wrote the poem, and I was like, this is a good piece of writing. I don't think it was necessarily a political statement um when I when I originally posted it um and political not governmental but political in terms of identity so I I think I wanted to share my writing more than anything and then since then I've posted probably three four five times on my Instagram 
over the years with some sort of poetic or political statement relating to sexual assault, um, in my experience. Right. Yeah. I think that's super important. So that's interesting that you didn't have the intention to just be like, this is my story, but it was kind of like a subconscious way of doing it. So that's actually funny that this is what we're talking about because recently somebody that I know uh, posted something telling her story and beautifully said and the reason it was interesting was it was like three or four years to the date or something or four years since the event had occurred and I was talking with people and obviously everyone was congratulating her and saying like we're here for you and it's amazing you did this and a positive responses however I did speak to somebody who said I don't understand like why she's coming out with this now like she could have said it the next day when it happened and gotten this kid kicked out of school she could have made other girls aware of his behavior she could have done x y and z and I responded saying like everybody deals with this in their own time and you can't really put pressure on somebody who's gone through this to open up because it takes time to kind of let it settle in what happened but I just wanted to hear from you as a victim of sexual assault why people sometimes like even with the me too movement people take 20 30 years to expose somebody who assaulted them so I just wanted to hear from you your opinion on that there's so many layers to that I think that first and foremost it's really important to acknowledge that a lot of people I'm using this word so much but internalize what happened to them and and end up blaming themselves um and so you're trying to reconcile with the super intense trauma and trying to heal yourself and of course that should come first but then it's twofold and in my mind it was why would I need to report if it's going to drag me through the mud, be really painful to me, reopen wounds, mm-hmm. and he's probably not going to do it to any girl again. Like, that's the thing. He's probably not going to do it. Like, it's just not like him. It was out of character. He was drinking, you know, whatever. You like, you made all... excuses for him. Oh, hands down. And I think that I'm, I'm always hesitant to be branded as, like, that feminist because that was my my high school is no but I think feminism doesn't just have to be you don't shave your legs or your armpits and you walk around screaming women's rights every day but I think you're damn right if we have a cause or movement about female empowerment every single person boy or girl should be a feminist and should champion what they stand for so go you for being a feminist I'm spinning it in a positive way Okay, well, I'll take it. And then I'll say that I think genuinely as women, we are put in a position by society or by our parents or by media, whatever it is that is that is teaching us this, we're taught to be protectors. We're taught to be nurturers. Um, and so I think that it there, there's two different things, and, and I hate to get on this binary thing but just in my experience I've talked to guys who are victim or have our survivors have been victimized by sexual assault um or by sexual assaulters and girls and so girls have this they want to protect the other person and for guys it's more shame and so I think it shame really in, in being sexually shame in their assaulted. experience right so if they're the survivor 
And so I think that depending on which, which uh, of, of just the two genders that, that I have personal experience talking to, of course, there's a whole plethora of identities. But when you're talking about a girl survivor, I think a huge part of not reporting or not coming forward with your story until a year, two years, 20 years later is protecting the people around you, protecting the perpetrator and protecting yourself. Um, when it's a man who doesn't come forward for one, two, 20, 30, 40 years later, I think a huge part of it is shame. And right. and that's a whole nother societal. Yeah, no, yeah. and it's definitely more complex. Like you said, there's other genders and other identities, of course, of people. There's yeah. a spectrum. Everybody in some capacity has, and every gender identity has experienced something. We're not discounting that. But I understand where you're coming from. And this leads me to my next question for you, which is, you experienced this trauma and it was your first, and correct me if I'm wrong, your first sexual experience with a boy, correct? So yeah. if your first sexual experience with a boy is tarnished and you're kind of taught like not to trust him and you said you didn't want to be in a car alone with them, how do you then move forward in one day feeling comfortable to like let yourself love someone or let yourself connect with somebody on a more intimate level? I was really, really fortunate. My sophomore year of high school, um, I met someone who was just it was like the most incredible relationship I don't know how I got so lucky we dated for three years um until until we went to college and he played a really really massive role in he was kind of with me at this point in my life when I started telling people for the first time mm-hmm. um so we started dating before I had told anyone so but how did that how did you connecting with him and being able to trust him because obviously your perception of men at this point was so negative because of what happened so how were you like I can let myself like you I can let myself explore things with you right okay so we started dating when I was 15 and so that wasn't like a huge like we weren't having sex yet um we weren't you know it was still very much like you keep your door open and you're never like you don't sleep over so it wasn't this huge like sexual reckoning right away um it was first telling him and be like being like oh my god will he still love me even though I've been through this that was kind of one aspect of it and and I remember I told him over the phone because I didn't want to tell him in person oh my god um and he's crying and I'm crying and my two best friends that I was talking about earlier are like sitting in my kitchen because I had just told them like it was just one night it was just like bam 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 he was very very loving very very welcoming and then once we started kind of experimenting and and doing more stuff the the things that had been done to me and this is kind of where my my memory was super foggy and little bits have definitely come back to me through someone will pull my hair like just how it was done and I'll like lose my shit and I think I've gotten literally in the past year um, thank you, hookup culture. Like, I've gotten to the point where, <laughs> like, dead ass though, where I'm like, okay, this is embarrassing if I freak out about it. And so I've got, I've been able to heal myself, say, you're fine, even when those little like triggering. triggers come up. But I remember at one point, we were, I think it was one of the first times that I was sucking his dick. Um, sorry, that's like super R rated. Um, but, he yeah like he pulled my hair he like pushed my head down or something and it was like totally consensual it wasn't violent at all but I just 
like had this really alarmist reaction and ended up curled at like the foot of my bed. Um, like you stopped it. and you just like, like, oh, I, I, yeah. Yeah. Oh, he, yeah. He stopped. He was like cuddling me and he was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And we talked through the whole thing and it was probably like 30, 45 minutes that we just sat there and I was just crying. So it was super. And even to the point where I had an interaction, but I, I was hooking up with this guy he it was I think the first night that we had met and I went back to his room with him or maybe the second time and went back and we're like in his bed and this is really R-rated he was like fingering me and he was like grab him by the pussy am I right and I was like no you're so wrong and so I like I I literally like pushed him off me like was climbing down from his bed from the bunk bed (laughs) yeah it was like a I, I don't want to expose the house. Um, oh. So, anyways, <laughs> um, we were not in a dorm. But I was, like, climbing down, and he's like, oh, my God, like, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm not a Trump supporter. I don't know why I said that. Like, that was so dumb. And I, I looked him in the eye and said I was raped when I was 14. And he, oh, yeah, he he didn't know what to do. He was, like, take it back. And then he was, it was, like, the sweetest moment where he was, like, come back here. We're not doing anything. Like, we're just going to cuddle. And it was like so sweet. And so I went up there and I explained it to him and I'm like, I'm sorry. Like I'm drunk. I don't know why I said that, but he was like, if you ever need anything, like come to me. And I think that was another really big shift in my mind is that most guys are not bad. And I just, in who I am, my personality, I can't go through life thinking that people are bad. Like I can't, it's just not who I am. Right. And so I have this perfect stranger who I was frankly like quite blunt with totally support me in that moment. And I'm like, butt naked. And like, it's just so awkward. Like sex is awkward. Let's not like lie about that. But he was just so nice about it. And so I, I think that was a big moment. I'm not sure I've ever told him that I probably should. But. Well, he should listen to this podcast, but yeah. um, so in addition to you being able to, like, open up to boys again, how was your relationship with alcohol changed? Because obviously when you're under the influence, your brain just stops working sometimes. How was that when, because obviously starting at 14, drinking for the first time, and you got a long way to go, especially until 21. So how was that shift in your relationship with alcohol moving forward? That's, like, such a good question. So I drank for like the rest of that summer um I remember that because I was still hanging out with my not not for the rest like I had a problem just for the rest of that summer like I was going to parties with the the same friends who took me to the fourth of July party I was still hanging out with like my older friends drinking with them and then I got to high school kind of had this reckoning also kind of I had another confounding variable which is my dad was an alcoholic so I got to high school and I stopped drinking and I didn't drink at all in high school. Um, I was a huge, huge party girl. I loved going to parties, but I just never drank. And so I was like always the DD. I was like dancing. It was a lot less awkward in high school to be sober. Um, but <laughs> I think, or I just didn't know. But yeah, I, I just, I didn't. I think that I was, I was scared of becoming my dad. And I was scared of being out of control. Okay, uh, a lot to unpack here. Okay. Yeah. Firstly, it it took you a few months or a few weeks the rest of that summer to figure out that you didn't really want to have a relationship with alcohol. 
for a while. Like, you wanted to press pause. Your relationship with your dad, just I want to take a brief moment to unpack this, if you will. You said he was Uh an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. I think you've said this before, but you don't really have a relationship with him. Sorry, I'm going to drink water really quick. I know, hydrate. We're about to get into the nitty-gritty of your family life. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, my... My parents got divorced when I was, I think, eight. Um, My dad was very abusive to my mom and myself, not physically, um, but emotionally and verbally. I lived with them 50-50 through sixth or seventh grade. And, but 50-50 was like the legal kind of time. And I would always end up back at my mom, like always. Like, you'd get there and not feel safe or comfortable? He would, I mean, he would pick me up from school drunk. Um, he, yeah, it was it was just incessant. Um, he went to rehab a few times. So, yeah, never had a really good relationship with him. And then seventh grade, I think it was seventh grade, I ran away. I was gone for, like, 24 hours. He didn't notice. Where'd you he go? Wait, wait, notice. I'm sorry. <laughs> you When you were staying with your dad, you ran away. Yeah. Where'd you go? I went, <laughs> I'm such a horse girl. I went to my barn and, and I slept at, at the barn. So I'm, I'm like 13 years old. Like because he was so terrible to you, you just couldn't put up with it. Yeah. Okay. He didn't notice. Or he, I ran away like a couple times for like out, like hour chunks um, or a couple hour chunks. And he would always call and threaten to call me and be like, I'm going to call the cops on you. Like, dude, you're drunk. Like, I even, I remember knowing at that point in time that he was never going to call the cops because, like, what is he going to do? Like, tell them that he's drunk and he lost his kid? So I just never, like, I was like, that's such an empty threat. And so I never, like, played into that. And then that was kind of the 24-hour thing was, um, I don't know if it was 24 hours, but it was, like, from when I got home at school, from from school, like, overnight into the next day. And then I was like, yeah, you gotta, like, go. I'm not living with you anymore. And he was very understanding, um, to his credit. Like, there was no legal anything. He was like, okay, I moved all my stuff out, and he moved to the Bay Area. And that was, I've seen him a couple times since. He's sober now. He, my freshman year of of, um, college at UCLA, actually, he became homeless. Um, And so... Yeah, there's a lot to unpack. You cut any of this out, but you need to. No, I, so the reason a little bit that I started a podcast was because aside from being an avid podcast listener, this is what I value most, like, in life is sitting with somebody and unpacking this. And to give everybody listening just a quick interjection, you and I know each other because we do Camp Kesem, and I've had several people on the podcast who do Camp Kesem, and... One thing you do in Kesem is you do a two-minute life story, and you stand in front of everybody in a room, and it's the mood is just very emotional, very understanding, and you get up and you basically tell your life story in two minutes. I sobbed for however many hours this went on. It must have been two or three. Sobbing. When you got up there, I was a wreck. So I know... A little bit. Obviously, there's like two minutes that you have that I kind of understood about you. But I think that in talking about your experience with sexual assault, it's important to understand your relationship with your father. And so I think learning about how he's impacted you gives people listening and kind of helps me understand like 
your relationship with men and your ability to trust them and love them and everything. And it kind of stems, like, your relationship with men and women stems from, like, your mom and your dad. And so back to what we were saying, your dad was homeless. So how was that for you? Terrible. I mean, I I think there was a significant amount of guilt where I was like, I have this home with my mom where he used to live. And it's a house and we own it. And we're so, so privileged in that sense. And it's such a beautiful thing. And then he's out in the Bay Area moving from town to town, living on the streets. So that was really hard. The other thing is I see a lot of myself or my dad and myself, my, and, and, and in the best way, because my dad is brilliant. My dad has a PhD um, in economics. He graduated from Berkeley, like UC Berkeley. Um, Freaking rivals he, number two. Don't even yeah. mess with me. Um, I'll forgive him on that one. <laughs> um, but I mean, he was an ultra runner. He placed like fourth in one of the hardest Leadville. So one of the hardest hundred mile races in, in the country. I mean, he was absolutely brilliant academically, socially, athletically, the whole nine yards. Like, this guy was amazing. And Um, he just, like, slipped up. Yeah. Like, people have demons, and it sucks, and it's it's almost like I want to separate that, but then I also want to be very clear when I'm talking to other people that abusers are abusers. And so you can't chalk it all up to, oh, they just drink too much, oh, they just, you know... So have you, have you ever, okay, I have two questions now. One, have you ever said this to him? Like, I love you, you're my dad, however, you did all of this to me that I just can't forgive. And then secondly, did you ever tell him about being sexually assaulted? No. No, I have not told him about being assaulted. That's an interesting question. I don't think it's ever come up in conversation. Well, I mean, uh, it's kind of hard to come up in conversation. Yeah. Like, what'd you do a few years ago? Yeah, exactly. Um, I think that he would find a way to blame my mom, to be honest. So, like, you don't even want to tell him because you have a feeling what his response would be. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think that anything healing could come from that. For me, it's all about healing, right? And healing myself, healing the people around me, um, fixing whatever is broken within whatever perpetrator society. I really don't see the purpose in telling him. I have thought about it, but it's never been a debate in my mind. It's always been no. To transition from there about healing. So now let's segue into like what you're doing in college in order to help heal yourself as well as others. So I think it's threefold kind of I'm in a sorority um I'm our sexual assault committee director I was a freshman um living in Reber Hall which was dope like literally the best living arrangement ever but I had like the most amazing people on our floor and one of those people happened to be in a frat that had a lot of allegations come out against their their house that year he would come into my room incessantly. His name is Dean. He's freaking awesome. He would come into my room and he'd be like, we need to fix this. Like the system's broken, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, okay, Dean. And like, but, but it was like probably two months of him coming in and saying, we got to do something. We got to do something. And I'm like, okay, let's do something. So we planned out the two of us, this whole 
event to do with his frat, with his with his chapter that involved kind of me talking about my experience, a guy in the chapter talking about his experience, um, and then us kind of doing a bonding, like a, it's like, have you played, not played, but done like crossing the line? So it's like, if your favorite color is blue, step in the circle, and like people step in. Okay. And so, so it's like that. So we did that. Um, that was a part of the kind of event. And then we broke out into like really small groups, like 10 person groups and talked about these discussion questions that we had created. Um, and so we planned all this out our freshman year and I was like, okay, like this isn't realistically ever going to happen. And then we did it our sophomore year in the fall with his chapter. It lasted two hours. We had to stop the guys at the end. It was myself and four of my like really close girlfriends who went in and, and ran this whole event, but right. with the, with Dean and the other guys who kind of stepped up and, and took the um, lead on this project. And it was so amazing. We had to cut the boys off at the end because we were like, okay, you guys can keep talking. Like, we're going to go. It's been two hours. And it was so productive. And so we started, we realized that it's not a single frat issue. So we started going chapter to chapter and doing this. And I think we did it with five houses oh, wow. um, last year and then had a few houses lined up for spring quarter, but obviously that fall. Obviously COVID um, happened. And then you're also, you mentioned the sexual assault director. Yeah. So I'm a sexual assault committee director um, in Greek life in my sorority. And then in addition to that, I actually just started an organization on campus, UC Coalition for Reproductive Justice. Um, and so that's where I'm doing most of my advocacy now. Um, I think the, the program that Dean, and Dean's actually a part of the org, which is awesome, but we kind of created this, this program and it's going to be adopted by Coalition. And we're working on everything from kind of our central issue is we're trying to get rape test kits more readily available on not only our campus, but all UC campuses and CSU campuses. In addition to that, we're fighting the new Title IX regulations right now. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's super amazing. my big chunk of work. Yeah. Damn. Go you. I think that's super amazing. And I think that a lot of people are aware that like sexual assault is a thing, but kind of put it in the back of their head. Like, no, that could never happen to me no that happened 20 years ago like it's over now me too movement happened but unfortunately that's not the reality in the way our world works so i think reminding people of your story and educating people is very very important and i applaud you for that and i think there should be more people like you who are doing things like that and hopefully somebody can listen to this or listen to you down the line speak and say like that resonates with me and like i had a similar experience or I'm afraid of this or I have this relationship with you is the way I perceive boys or like the list is endless and I think it's super important to discuss and bring awareness to so I thank you for coming on and sharing your story and unpacking everything with me and I just think a lot of people can learn from it so I'm super glad to have you on awesome thank you so much for having me this was so fun of course I hope you all enjoyed listening to Addison's episode as much as I did recording it. I think it sparks a very important discussion whether or not you're a survivor of sexual assault, but just to understand it and to normalize it as a topic of discussion. I hope you all have an amazing day and continue to stay safe. Bye! Bye.